Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled A Full-Throated Appeal to Personalized Care in Advanced Gastroesophageal Junction, GEJ, and Esophageal Cancers. Where do immunotherapy-based regimens fit in? To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported through an educational grant from Bristol-Myers Squibb. Hi, everybody. I'm Zafar Ajani. I'm a GI medical oncologist working at MD Anderson. We are going to go over the evolving landscape of gastroesophageal adenocarcinomas today. Esophageal adenocarcinoma is a very difficult cancer, highly resistant to treatment, survivals are very poor. So if you, even if it is localized and you can do chemoradiation surgery or chemotherapy surgery, the five-year cure rate is under 50%. So more than 50% of patients will succumb to esophageal adenocarcinoma. If it is regional, the numbers go down to 26%. If it's distant or stage four, you have about 5% of patients living. We look at the SEER database that has thousands of patients, all comers. It's only 20%, which hasn't changed a whole lot. It has improved some over time. So historically, the PD-1 inhibitors like pembrolizumab and nivolumab were studied as single agents, and then pembrolizumab was approved by the FDA because of 12% response rate. And so we were using pembrolizumab in second and third line. But later on, we noted that that number doesn't increase. In fact, it goes down. And so what that means is there's only a small number of patients who can benefit from a single agent pembrolizumab. If you really want to benefit larger number of patients, we might want to combine immunotherapy with chemotherapy. So if we go to NCCN guidelines, there are a lot of updates, and there will be another update coming very soon. But for HER2-positive tumors, of course, you use trastuzumab and chemotherapy, but you now can also use pembrolizumab in the United States. This is based on increased response rate. But if the HER2 is not positive, which is very common, then we depend on CPS score of the PDL1 expression. And if it is five or higher, then you definitely should consider using a PD1 inhibitor. The major difference is in the addition of PD1 inhibitor to chemotherapy in untreated stage four cancer patients. That's where we are seeing all this considerable improvements that we've been waiting for for many years. So having defined the background, now let's review the clinical trials that have made a major difference in our patients' lives. So let's look at the clinical trial data for combination of chemotherapy with immunotherapy, various trials that have led to approval of these drugs. So one important trial is Checkmate 649. This is one of the largest trial in this space ever done. And the major takeaway message is that when you combine chemotherapy to nivolumab and compare to chemotherapy versus placebo, you get tremendous benefit in survival and progression-free survival. 
So these are metastatic untreated patients. And what is striking is the tail of the curve. The number I mentioned for stage four is like 5%. We're very hopeful that that number will increase to maybe 15% with increased follow-up. And some of the longer follow-up data is already available. So when we look at the progression-free survival, the benefit lasts very long time. Very, very striking data. So there is also data with pembrolizumab, which was in the trial called Keynote 590. Keynote 590 mainly had squamous cell carcinoma patients, but there are more than 200 adenocarcinoma patients. And I think it taught us something that the other trials have not. There is a group of patients with CPS score of 10 or higher that seem to benefit even more so. So tremendous survival advantage when we use pembrolizumab with chemotherapy. In progression-free survival, for all patients, there is some benefit. But as I mentioned, we want to become more and more selective as we go forward. In other words, we don't want to give same treatment to everybody because we know not every patient benefits, but every patient experiences side effects. So as we go forward, we want to select population that is likely to benefit. So the key points of what I mentioned is now we have very strong data that in untreated metastatic esophageal or gastroesophageal adenocarcinoma patients, if you combine chemotherapy with PD-1 inhibitors, you actually see improvement in response rate, progression-free survival, overall survival. And I'm hoping that we will increase the fraction of patients who get cured, although they all start with stage four disease. So we are now going to talk about the safety profile and how to manage the toxicities that occur. The thing to recognize is that most of these patients are symptomatic anyway. So if you give them therapy, two drugs, three drugs, probably in the initial phase, they're going to have more symptoms, reduce quality of life. The question is what happens later on and whether we can continue therapy without significant side effects. Let's talk about the immunotherapy, PD-1 inhibitor side effects, because we need to be aware of them. We need to educate the patient and family, and then we need to recognize them and intervene early. So if you do all these three things with every patient and their family, I think the outcomes are going to be much better. If we look at Checkmate 649, we have a series of toxicity. So endocrine and gastrointestinal, as well as hepatic toxicities are common. Hypothyroidism is pretty much common. So we've got to check TSH levels on a frequent basis. Also ask the patient about diarrhea, check liver enzymes. And then there are some other side effects like pulmonary skin and renal that are not very common. But we have to keep that in mind. If you don't think about it, you're not going to identify them. So one advantage of PD-1 inhibitors is that the serious toxicity, I'm talking about grade three or four, the frequency is very low. Fortunately, it's 10% or less. There are instances where the toxicity is very severe and you have to stop the drug. 
but most patients can really tolerate the standard of care chemotherapy we use for gastric, gastroesophageal adenocarcinoma and adding PD-1 inhibitor, they're pretty well tolerated. Although we have now the luxury of using this drug and improving patient outcomes, we also have to be aware of the side effects specifically that can be caused by PD-1 inhibitors. And then if we recognize them early, there are several guidelines out there that will help us how to manage that. So in the next session, we spend some time talking about appropriate patient biomarkers and recognize the right treatment for the right patient. So if we are focused on use of PD-1 inhibitors, then I think there are two biomarkers that are really important. One is the microsatellite status. And the second thing is the PDL one score by CPS score. So these two biomarkers are considerably important right now to make therapeutic decisions for using PD-1 inhibition. The other thing is that the biomarker horizon is going to continue to expand. And I think that is all good because that will segregate the patient population and customize therapy. So one of the things that is becoming very important now is the use of NGS. And I don't necessarily do NGS the moment untreated metastatic patient walks in, but I certainly do it after first-line therapy. NGS will give you the ability to know that some patients can benefit from agnostic therapeutics that are already approved by the FDA. So if we look at some of the data based on biomarkers, especially in Checkmate 649, you will see that the little higher the PDL1 score, better is the outcome. But after 10, it's not making a lot of difference. So I see patients with CPS score of 40 or 80, there's no guarantee that they're going to surpass these results. So we also look at the MSI high results. And there you can see that with chemotherapy alone, these patients do not do well. They're actually resistant to chemotherapy. But when you add a PD-1 inhibitor, these patients do substantially better. And emerging data also suggests that you don't even need chemotherapy. All they need is a little boost with a PD-1 inhibitor. So I think we should get into the habit of getting HER2 status microsatellite status, PDL one status. And as we go forward, there will be other biomarkers such as Claudine 18.2, FGFR2B, TKK1. And I think the field is continuing to get very exciting. So along with uh, drugs that really improve patient outcome, the patients also care about their quality of life. So let's take a look at some of the data. So we have quality of life data in Checkmate 649. And with the continuation of treatment, the quality of life was actually better for those who received PD-1 inhibitor. There are two reasons. One is in the initial phase of the treatment, and these patients are very symptomatic. So when you give effective treatment, their tumor gets smaller and the tumor-related symptoms go down. Now we have to worry about treatment-related side effects, whether that is reducing the quality of life for the patient. So when we look at these data, 
there's generally improvement in the quality of life of these patients, which is quite remarkable. So we have to continue to monitor not only the quality of life and listen to patients and family very clearly and repeatedly, but we also have to make a lot of selection. So we don't really start treatment on who may be eligible because there are other factors to consider. That will be comorbidities, social support, caregiver support, economic conditions. I think success will come with a very comprehensive approach before therapy begins. You want the patient to be fairly stable for this prolonged journey during which they are going to get chemotherapy and PD-1 inhibitor. And all of this has to be monitored with a high level of communication. And I think that's how we can win. So just to summarize, there is all this exciting data out there with PD-1 inhibitors in this space. So that is changing outcome of our patients. So one way to succeed would be the understanding of biomarkers, how to select patients based on biomarkers. Then second thing will be how to select patients based on other variables, comorbidities, social support, financial situation, compliance, and then the management of side effects, which begins with education, early detection, early intervention. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.